Welcome back to Knowledge Drop, the podcast where we talk about science, technology, engineering, and all the good things that um, make us all happy and stuff. I'm Derek. And I'm Eric. We have another guest speaker. Um, uh, Hayden is out of the country right now, enjoying some much needed time with his family. And so uh, I've invited my good friend Eric to uh, come on and talk to us. So Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and you know how we met and stuff. All right, yeah. Um, so I'm uh, you know roughly in my early third year at ASU. I'm studying mechanical engineering. Um, before I came to ASU, I was, uh, I was in the Marine Corps for five years. I was a um, airframe mechanic on Super Stallion helicopters for five years. And oh, nice. uh, now that kind of just piqued my interest in all things mechanical. And so now I decided to use my GI Bill to get a degree in mechanical engineering. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah, we're, I'm glad to have you on. We, we've been chatting. Um, so this year at ASU, it's been almost all online. And so naturally all the students have organized um, discord servers so that we can <laughs> help each other with all the classwork we have. And, uh, you know, there's the occasional couple days long rants about various things, but, uh, yeah, that's where, that's where Eric and I met. We were taking a class together and, um, we started doing homework together and, um, it's been, it's been good. I mean, yeah. I didn't do too well in the class, but that wasn't his fault. That's more my fault. <laughs> but yeah, uh, man, it's quite the class. Yeah. If anyone's curious, we're taking um, engineering mechanics with a focus on dynamics. So the moving bodies and it's, it's a doozy. Um, so anyway, to uh, get down to it, we're going to be talking today about cryptocurrency. Um, not, too much into our regular topics, but this is very interesting and there is a lot of uh, technology involved in this. And uh, I have the fun fact today. And it's not so much related to this, but I thought it was really, really cool when I came across it. So um, I'm not sure if Eric already knows this, but on the surface of Mars, the atmosphere is like 1% as thick as what is here on Earth. Oh, wow. And so it's super, super thin. And so if you're, because it's so thin, there's not a lot of insulation to hold in heat. And that's why there's ice everywhere. And um, because it's so thin, the temperature is changing based on elevation, just like it does on earth. The higher you go, the colder it gets. On Mars, the temperature difference at your feet and your head is is uh, so at your feet it would be 24 degrees celsius or 75 degrees fahrenheit but at your head it would be zero degrees celsius or 32 degrees fahrenheit just wow. in the difference of like six feet that's insane and I, I thought that was so cool to think about that like hey i can have liquid water and then i can just pull it up to like head level <laughs> and it'll freeze uh yeah that's pretty crazy so wow but i guess it would be frozen on the yeah, de depending on the season, whatever. But <laughs> that's my <laughs> my fun factor for today. And, nice, um, I like that. Yeah. So anyway, jumping into cryptocurrency, um, we've all heard of it. You know, Bitcoin is normally the thing that we hear most about. Um, it's kind of the thing that is getting super hyped right now. Um, 
and yeah, uh, Eric and I are both going to be going kind of back and forth on this because there was a lot to dive into. It's a lot to cover. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, interesting stuff. yeah. So while we both researched it, we're going to both be talking about the different points that we were researching. Cause we, we both kind of did our independent research and we're going to be teaching each other, um, today. So. All right. I guess I can start a little bit about, um, specifically just Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, and so again, I'm, I'm trying to treat this in a very, well, I'm not an expert. The stuff that I'm going to be talking about is kind of just <laughs> stuff that I've established for my own research, but I am by no means an expert on any of this. Yeah. Any returning so. listener or new listener should know that anything we say here is not a, we're not engineers yet. We're not experts. And so it's, <laughs> it's just for fun, just for yeah. learning sake. Right. So, so that being said, you know, from, from what I've gathered, um, Bitcoin seems to be the oldest established cryptocurrency um, dating back to 2009. Um, currently, there, there are over 7,000 other alternate types of cryptocurrencies, oh, though. Oh, yikes. Um, <laughs> which is really just maddening to think about. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know. Yeah, so if you think about it just in the sense of, you know, just like different currencies that are available all over the world, you know, I'd gather there's quite a few, but, oh, but 7,000. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. 7,000, that's pretty nuts to me. Um, and as far as, as far as Bitcoin specifically, um, at the time of recording this and, you know, late 2020, we have quote unquote mined, and we'll come back to this idea of mining, but mm-hmm. at the time of recording, there's roughly 18 and a half million Bitcoins in circulation. Um, the estimate, well, it's not an estimate, I guess the, the way that Bitcoin is written and the programming that goes into it there's going to be a set number of 21 million total Bitcoins at the end. So yeah, in a sense, we've quote unquote mined 90% of the available Bitcoins that will be circulating as a form of currency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is something um, that I've talked to a few people about cryptocurrency. Cause it's like, they think that because it's digital, we can just make however much we want and it's just going to be this like infinite money machine. Yeah. But, yeah. But <laughs> the the way the world works is if something just has an infinite amount it's not worth anything no exactly yeah which is kind of that's something i i was i came across when i was uh, researching this topic um i don't remember entirely how the quote went but voltaire had a quote that was similar to that and i guess what's it was voltaire? the idea that uh what's that what's voltaire uh voltaire was a he was an early philosopher i don't remember the specific year oh oh gotcha um, okay i didn't know if it was like he, a company yeah, or whatnot Gotcha. Yeah, no, it was a like an early philosopher. And he, he had a quote talking about this, how, uh, you know, like if you have, it, it was kind of along the lines of like fiat currency, which we'll get to later in this, but he was talking about how, you know, if you have a money that uh, a paper currency, like a fiat currency, where it's not backed by, uh, you know, gold or something physical, it will always return to its intrinsic value, which is zero over time, you know? <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense because it, the more that you print of it, it's going to be worth less, even if it is backed by something, because the, right. the value has to be divided out more and more. Yeah. Which is scary to think about because I'm, so I talk about this later, the fact that this year um, in America, they're printing a lot of money mm-hmm. and it's, it's going to, like, there are a lot of financial policies and stuff that regulate that, but it will eventually catch up to us in the form of inflation. Oh yeah. So yeah. 
so what what else did you um did you learn just about like the i guess the history of crypto and bitcoin specifically uh so the other thing uh, the other thing cool that I found out about Bitcoin was that in the really early stages of it, um, like roughly from 2009 to 2011, um, there was this so-called uh, Carboniferous period for Bitcoin. So mm-hmm. basically, you know, do a little bit of history here. The Carboniferous period was roughly 300 to 360 million years ago. And it was this huge period of green growth on Earth where there was tons and tons of like plant life forming. Um, but there was nothing or almost nothing around to eat all this growth. And so it basically became this period of like huge resources being established and developed, but they were getting wasted and lost because there was no, there was no way for them to be utilized in a sense. Yeah. Like there's, there's no one to harvest the wood. There's no one to reap the fruit. Like there's, that's really interesting. I've never heard of that. Yeah. So basically during those, those really early years, a Bitcoin from like 2009 to 2011, when, mm-hmm. you know, there was just a big chunk of the, the mining going on. Um, there was just, there was so little, uh, maybe demand's not the right word, but basically there was just, there was a huge influx of this new cryptocurrency that was being established. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was just, there was no, there was, there was almost no one to use it. So it was yeah. kind of just, it became wasted. Um, you know, it got kind of buried and lost in the blockchain and the ledgers. Yeah, which is also yeah, I something was... I want to talk about this blockchain because I think it's an interesting technology. Um, yeah. So yeah. To, to add to the history of what you've talked about, I went a little bit deeper into like crypto in general. And so like um, I, there was an early attempt at a cryptocurrency in the early 80s, which mm. I thought was crazy to think about. Um, And it it was a a guy who relocated to the Netherlands because apparently they have some very um, pro company, you know, policies. Mm -hmm. And so he started this company called DigiCash. And they were operating for a little while, but then for some reason, I didn't get too into the weeds on this, but the government, the Netherlands government, um, stepped in and basically destroyed the company because they didn't like what they were doing or they didn't like the idea of yeah. like a decentralized currency. Um, hmm. And so in the late 1990s is when this company failed because DigiCash had to change their um, business uh, plan and their business operations so they could only cater to banks. And really? no banks are wanting to do cryptocurrency. I mean, they're barely doing it now. Yeah. And so that's interesting. Yeah. Because I, that was something I, I had also considered was just, I guess, this idea that um, whether or not cryptocurrency is something that could be, um, you know, I guess, controlled or banned from by specific governments or entities. So that's, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. I think where they went wrong, though, is because DigiCash was not decentralized like it is now. Mm hmm the way it worked was it was basically just a bank in the Netherlands. Like they had a physical location where they stored all this information, which is the whole point of crypto. Yeah, you're right. That's, that's a bit different than the way the approach to it now where there it's, it's just buried in so many layers of anonymity. Yeah. Um, And so like 
just as for context, the way that it works now, I don't know if you'll talk about this later, but this is what I was looking into as well. Mm-hmm. Um, part of blockchain technology is blockchain is just a way to keep a record of everything. It's a ledger system, like you mentioned before. Yeah. And it's stored by every network that's using block, uh, using cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And so even if all of the nations of the world, which is highly unlikely, if all of them teamed up, it would still be immensely difficult to track down every single network and shut it down. Yeah, exactly. So that's the huge plus to crypto is because nobody can control it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, th- I think to me, something that's really interesting about crypto is uh, so like we were just talking about with like the, the blockchain kind of ledger system um, and just the way that it's tracked is, you know, um, every purchase of Bit- Bitcoin or just cryptocurrency in general, um, it, it is, um, it has a layer of anonymity to it, you know, cause like, mm-hmm. it's not like when, when you, when you trade a cryptocurrency, you're not doing so through a specific bank or financial entity. It's kind of just account to account. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's not, there's not always like a face on it per se. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, all, although it's encrypted, there is this record system, right? So it's like, even, even though you may not have a face on a specific interaction you've had with somebody, the records are there. Yeah. And I just think that's kind of an interesting approach to it. You know? Yeah. Um, and so just going back to more of the history slash like how it works, um, you've mentioned mining cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was still a teenager when this was kind of big, um, but when people start talking about mining Bitcoin, I, I was fascinated that like you can get, you can set up your computer to just kind of run through a bunch of calculations and you eventually find Bitcoins or you get these things. That's not technically how it works, but in a nutshell, yes. Um, yeah. So how it, how it does actually work is there are people who have these computers that are optimized for you know computing, running mm-hmm. a lot of algorithms and and checking things what happens is the this computer will make sure that a transaction is is correct that it's right and that it's being transferred from one to another and they get a payment for processing that transaction basically um and they also are like some of the first people to find these newly minted coins you know because mm-hmm there's only so many and the key or the like the way to identify a specific coin a key is only so many characters and so many numbers like there's a string of characters to it that uh, they are testing for and looking for and um yeah it's super super energy intensive um i think you actually were the one that you were telling me about this a couple weeks ago that there are companies that have like underwater or like they have like these rigs set up in caves for heat management and stuff like that exactly yeah that that is something i thought was really interesting about that is that there are there are companies that have made it you know their specific purpose is to just have huge networks of computing capability that they'll use to uh 
you know, to, to run through these blockchain verifications as, as a way to, you know, mining or verifying the, uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the data. Um, but yeah, there was something, sorry, I just had a quick note that I wrote down that was relevant to what we were talking about here. No, you're good. Um, yeah. Feel free to interrupt me. That's, uh, Oh that's yeah. Sorry. So <laughs> something that was interesting to me that I came across earlier was just that, uh, so, okay, we just talked about like how there, there's companies that have these huge, you know, server sort of setups, all this computing power as a way of uh, verifying purchases to, you know, quote unquote, mine bitcoins. Mm -hmm. um, but from what I was also looking into with on this topic is that um, because there's lots of different competing computers in the system that are trying to verify these purchases, um, as more computers are accessing this network that they're trying to, you know, sort of like crack the code on or like solve the puzzle in order to get mm -hmm. that little Bitcoin piece. Basically, the more computers that are competing, the harder the puzzle gets in a sense. So it's almost set up in a way to sort of just completely randomize the, the validation to basically sort of prevent people from, from doing what these companies are trying to do, where they just have like massive computer setups to just, like just like, farms and of yeah. computers that do this right. stuff. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like the system set up in a way to really try and work against that. So mm -hmm. I haven't, I haven't really looked into it enough to, you know, to speak educatedly about if that process is something that they've been able to overcome. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of how it's intended. Yeah. Cause I, I was looking into like, um, so what you could do, you could have your computer running when you're not using it to look for and run these transactions and look for Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I was looking into it and it is like, it's hard on your computer. Oh yeah. And so, um, the people that are doing this, it's, it kind of, I, I wish, I think there might be a better system because like you're saying it, it is almost built for the people who have money already. Mm-hmm. Because if I can buy like a super optimized supercomputer that can just run all the time, that's liquid cooled and all that, then they're going to be more successful than my, you know, dinky little desktop that I bought at Costco. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I hope that's the case, but. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I'd hope so too. That's, that's something interesting I came across that I thought was just neat. Cause that kind of, you know, mm -hmm. it kind of goes against like what we were talking about with just uh, either people or companies that just have set up these like crazy networks. So it kind of, mm -hmm. kind of begs the question, like, is that, is what they're doing really worth the effort they're putting in? Um, but yeah. yeah, I guess, again, that's something I haven't really looked into, but maybe that's a cool topic for further research. Yeah, no, for sure. We can, we'll add that to our list. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> another little snippet of cool uh, stuff I found was so the person who's like quote unquote credited with founding Bitcoin, we don't actually know who that is. Hmm. Um, there was a person who posted a paper about Bitcoin, um, Mr. Nakamoto. Um, but that's all we know. We don't know who he is or what he's done. Um, and it's kind of funny. I read a, uh, I didn't get too into this cause I, I don't really care for conspiracy theories, but <laughs> there's a conspiracy theory out there that Elon Musk, uh, is this person that he was the one that started Bitcoin. <laughs> and I would just, I would 
just laugh so hard um, if it was, but I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> Do you know what year that uh, that paper was published in? Uh, it was 2008. So like it was okay. right, in, right at the cusp of when it became popular because he published this paper about it. And then people discovered Bitcoin and what it was and how they could make money. And that's when like you were talking about the car carboniferous yeah is that how you say it okay Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's when that whole period started when there's just this immense growth in the in the interest of the currency so yeah that's interesting hmm yeah i'm uh i'm guessing so okay was that something that he uh when he published that do you know anything about like is that something that he was specifically trying to keep um you know, like to, to his own country or like, is that something that he was trying to, to display like to the world basically? Or? Um, honestly, I, I think it would be to the world because mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to have a, a cryptocurrency that's just isolated to one region or to one native people, like one in one, like if it was English, only so many people would access it. You're totally right. That, that sort of does go um, against everything that cryptocurrency is about. Yeah, yeah. So I, because it works better the more people that use it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, this is this is all kind of what we've been researching. There's a ton more that goes into it. Like blockchain in and of itself is like a, a crazy technology that's amazing, and I want to understand it more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a, you could easily have an entire episode of this just about that specific sector. Yeah, I I actually added it to the the list of topics because it it's nice. really cool. Yeah. Um, and so now we've kind of established like what it is, how it works. I mean, very surface level stuff, but now um, we both kind of created this list of like why it's a good thing and why it's a bad thing. And so um, maybe we'll just go point for point and talk about each, each point. Do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, sure. I can go first. I can talk a little bit about it. So um, I think just something cool to note um, to start here is just at the time of recording, I picked out just a few different prices for mm-hmm. some of the popular cryptocurrencies now. Just if nothing else, I thought it would be interesting to see how they continue to change, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so like at the time of recording, one Bitcoin is $18,856. Um, one Ethereum coin is $576. Uh, XRP, also known as Ripple, it's currently 59 cents. And oh, uh, Litecoin is $80.45. And these are all uh, US dollar uh, conversion rates. Mm-hmm. So, I, I've never heard of uh, Ripple before. I wonder why it's so yeah. cheap right now. It, it's a it's a smaller one. I've It's one that I've, uh, I've purchased a little bit of myself, but mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of more than anything as sort of a, you know, an experiment. I, yeah, I have yeah. invested a little bit into crypto, but not a whole lot. It's, it's kind of just an experiment <laughs> at the moment for me. Yeah. Same, same here. I've just barely gotten into crypto like the last four or five months. Um, but sadly, um, just as a warning to everybody, if you don't, if you buy Bitcoin and you don't receive a key, like a string of numbers and letters, then you're not actually buying crypto cryptocurrency. So for example, I use Robinhood to do most of my investing. But when you buy Bitcoin on Robinhood, you're not actually buying a Bitcoin. You're buying a derivative of Bitcoin, something that Robinhood tracks. Because when you buy Bitcoin, you're not actually receiving 
the numeric key that you can put in your digital wallet that says you own that, you know, specific part of a coin or whole coin or whatever it, it mm. is. And so something to, to look out for. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Okay. So all, uh, I guess, you know, sort of going away from, uh, the current prices and stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, to, to talk about why it could be a good thing. Um, let's see, basically every, every transaction, uh, of a, of a cryptocurrency is sort of shrouded by this element of anonymity and, or a lack of involvement from an outside entity. So in a sense, like, I guess the easiest example I can think of would be, you know, you need a bicycle. So you go onto Craigslist and you find Joe Smith who's selling a bicycle, you know, mm -hmm. and you decide that you're going to purchase it from him using Bitcoin. So, you know, you guys both have some sort of crypto app. You trade over a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin to him. And then, you know, that bike's now yours. And so that transaction you performed that was without any sort of involvement from, you know, a financial institution. So it's not like you did that. Including the U S government. Wells Fargo. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's not something where, you know, both your bank accounts talk to one another and then the difference of funds was then subtracted and added. It was something mm -hmm. entirely different through just this blockchain, you know, ledger system, mm -hmm. um, which I think is cool. I think it's really interesting that, you know, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general really offer, um, you know, they offer you the ability to perform a transaction with other people where mm -hmm. it's not necessarily, you know, processed through a government or through a financial institution. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I, mean, I guess, I sorry, guess my ahead. next, my next question is like, can you, so I don't, I don't know about the process of paying someone with Bitcoin mm -hmm. that well. Um, so does that mean like if I have a part of a Bitcoin and I want to give someone the hundred dollars equivalent of a Bitcoin, mm -hmm. do I just like send them a code or like, do I text them a code or is it through like a website or? I, I, yeah. So I think it would have to be through a website. This is not something I've done myself yet. This is, you know, kind of oh, uncharted oh, okay. territory gotcha. But from my understanding, the way it would work is, you know, whatever you're using for your, your crypto trading, whether it's, uh, you know, Coinbase or Cash App or whatever you're choosing, Mm -hmm. Um, once you work through the necessary, like validation steps through that, um, that crypto trading service you're using, um, I believe it then allows you to trade with other people. Gotcha. Um, like, okay. So. so then there's still some amount of like, I guess you don't need to know. Sorry. I'm like trying to figure out cause it, I want to make sure that like. I'm not trying to be nefarious or anything, but like mm -hmm. if I want to be hundred percent anonymous, how do I give someone this money without having to like basically register myself on a website or something? Right. So I, I think, so that's kind of where, you know, in the world of crypto, that sort of a non anonymity is, uh, is sacrificed a little bit is when you're signing up with the institution that you're choosing to do your crypto transactions with, um, cause I believe there's really no way to get around them knowing your specific, you know, other bank name and account mm -hmm. number and all that. Um, but when it comes to crypto transaction, 
crypto transactions specifically, you know, as far as I understand, that's where you're still able to sort of be shrouded in this, uh, you know, gotcha. finite secrecy. Okay. So it's more so about the fact that you're the coin itself that's logging every transfer and every transaction. Mm-hmm. It doesn't name who owned it at this time. It just says that it was transferred from this account to this account to this account. Exactly. Exactly. Mm, yeah. Okay. So, and I believe, I believe that's why, you know, when there's been issues with criminals, um, the FBI has been able to specifically, um, you know, locate that like the time that that transfer took place, the amount that the transfer was for and things like that. Yeah. Um, that's actually one of the, the bad things, um, about cryptocurrency is that like governments in general, um, there are good reasons the government can seize money and track money. There's also bad reasons. Um, like for example, Mm -hmm. like if I live in a country where it's communist, if I don't agree with what's happening, the government can seize all of my money or freeze my accounts with just because that's the nature of the government that I, where I live. But if I have mm. cryptocurrency, they can't just reach in and freeze my funds or take them or whatever. You're right. Um, yeah. Like but in then a on sense, cryptocurrency, I'm sorry. Was trying to oh, I was just going to say on the flip side, we can use like in the U S and TV shows, we see all the time that we can put trackers and we can track serial numbers of money to track down criminals and make sure they're not, you know, doing bad things. So. Yeah. So that's, something that's kind of interesting to me is like, (laughs) I guess the idea that like, if I was a criminal, you know, I don't think I would want to use cryptocurrency because it's something that, you know, although, you know, my, my face and name isn't like attached to it per se, Mm -hmm. there is sort of this like chain that can be traced in a way, which is different than like, I don't know if you were a criminal and you were just dealing in, you know, paper money only where Mm -hmm. that's, sort of can't exactly be tracked in the same way. Yeah, no, that's so. true. It's a, it's an interesting idea. I, I mean, we're not criminals, so we don't really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> know a ton about it, but um, yeah. So, um, so while I did list, you know, the fact that it's not regulated by governments in the bad column, I mm-hmm. also put not regulated by government, not regulated by governments in the good column. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I mentioned it before, but like we've been doing, um, it's been really hard for a lot of people. And so there's been um, money distributed to people for, you know, the hardships that we're enduring this year um, with the virus, Mm -hmm. but um, the money wasn't, you know, taken from somewhere else and given to everyone. It was just created. It was just like a lot of people on YouTube joke about this, this money printing machine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like a money, spit now. Mm-hmm. a money machine yeah. gun. A money machine gun. Yeah. Um, so the government, they have all these like very interesting policies on like, oh, we're going to print all this money, but we'll be able to buy government bonds. And so in the future, we'll be able to do this. And it kind of evens all out. And I'm for me as a layman and not versed in the financial stuff, it just seems like a, like a big runaround for them being like... Mm-hmm we're just going to make this money and we'll, uh, we'll justify it later. Yep. Um, yeah, exactly. Act now, think later. Yeah. And it's for me seeing that and not understanding it because it's so complex. It makes me kind of afraid because 
stuff like that leads to like inflation. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. If you've ever been to like a third world country, a lot of times they've gone through these hyperinflation moments in their history where like in Zimbabwe, a friend of mine showed me a dollar bill that was for 12 billion. um, I can't remember the name of the currency, but it was a a dollar bill with, you know, uh, nine zeros on it. And I was like, Whoa, (laughs) you're a rich man. He's like, no, no, no. This barely buys you like a a loaf of bread. Yeah. Something simple. And so um, the fact that cryptocurrency is very limited, like what you said, it's a finite resource and Mm -hmm. it's, not because the maker of it is controlling how many there are the code that makes Bitcoin what it is limits the number that can actually exist. Yeah, exactly. And that's from what I've, from what I've looked into, that's, that's almost true for all of them. I I don't, I don't know the specific names of uh, cryptocurrencies that don't have a cap on them, but, but you're right. The overwhelming majority of cryptocurrencies, Mm -hmm. they, they have this, cap on them. So mm-hmm. there's not just going to be this huge volume to the point where the value is then diminished. Yeah. And so the other thing I was thinking is if there's only so many of them and they can only be worth so much, why does the price fluctuate so much? Mm-hmm. And then I, I was thinking about it and I was, Oh, it's just the same thing as, you know, when um, the new power Rangers toy came out, everyone wanted it and the price shot up Yeah, because of demand. Exactly. It's the same thing with Bitcoin is, you know, when everyone wants it, there's going to be less of it. And the stuff that's left over is going to be more expensive because there's over it. So it's, it's oh, kind yeah. of doubly based on the fact that there's only so much and the amount of people that are actually using it dep- uh, makes what the price of it is. Oh yeah, definitely. Just because, I mean, even I remember like when I was first looking into Bitcoin in like 2017, I think it had a price point of around, I don't know, something around the ballpark of like 1500 per Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. And now it's shot up all the way to, you know, 19,000. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're, they're even speculating, you know, heavy emphasis on speculating, but they're, they're <laughs> estimating the price could even go into the six figures by the time we're done mining all the, the Bitcoins. And oh, just... see, I heard it was going to be six figures by the end of next year. Wow. Um, but then again, this is just speculation. Yeah, um, because another website told me that we shouldn't finish mining Bitcoin until the middle of the next century. Really? And I was like, oh, that sounds like a long time considering there's going to be more and more computers that are going to be more and more powerful that can, mm-hmm. you know, do these things. So, yeah. And, anyway, just, yeah. Well, I wonder if now, not to tangent too much, but I wonder if that's because we're at a point now where we're sort of like scraping the barrel, you know, because we've already mined so many Bitcoins. Like, I wonder oh, if true. as you get closer to that cap, if that means that it's intrinsically more difficult to then harvest. That would be interesting. Bitcoins. Yeah. So it's, it becomes more of like a, you can't really, I don't know if there's a science to finding Bitcoin, mm-hmm. but imagine it, I imagine it just being like gold where like, if we had just mined every ounce of gold from the earth and it just becomes harder and harder to find. Yeah, um, that would be a cool feature, I guess, of, uh, of mm-hmm. Bitcoin. And and we're only focusing on Bitcoin because it's the most common. Like that's what everyone yeah. kind of is in right now. Yeah, it's sort of easier to just use that as a an example mm-hmm. for all of them. Yeah, um, because um, it is. I mean, from 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 the way I understand it, it, it is the you know the model that 
most of these other cryptocurrencies have used in their development as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last point that I have for like why it's a good thing is um, so the, the people that are mining Bitcoin, they, they are paid for the service of, you know, making sure the transactions are correct and right. And they keep a good log of those things. Mm-hmm. Meaning they're incentivized to keep a correct up-to-date record of everything. If they don't, then they don't get paid. Meaning they're self-interested and they self-regulate. And this is huge because that means that like, let's just say I'm a, I run a cryptocurrency transaction monitoring group of, of computers or whatever, a server. Mm-hmm. If I try to, you know, steal or I try to do bad things, no one like it, they'll stop using my server or like it, it, I need to read more into it, but like the people who are funneling that I'm looking for Bitcoin and looking for these transactions, if I don't have good records, I don't, I'm not a part of that system anymore. Hmm. And I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That like there are not very many self-regulating systems that can actually self-regulate. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I was really impressed with, with that aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, but there are a few more downsides. I think um, you have a few or another one that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. I mean, there's the, there's sort of just one uh, specific uh you know, circumstance that I kind of wanted to focus on just as a, like an an anecdote for how Mm -hmm. it could be a bad thing, I guess. Um, Which sort of goes back to this idea of the fact that it is shrouded in anonymity um, Mm -hmm. makes it often appealing to criminals and hackers. Um, Specifically, there's this, this one sort of like story or occurrence that I'm, you know, kind of fascinated by. I've done a little bit of research on this already, uh, like prior to this, but there is the creation of this um, online anonymous marketplace called the Silk Road um, that was created by uh, Ross Ulbricht, but he went under the alias of Dread Pirate Roberts. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was created, it, it started in 2011, early 2011, and it was, uh, it's resurfaced here and there um, a few times, but mm-hmm. the initial shutdown happened in October of 2013. Um, and so basically the Silk Road was this, it was a dark web marketplace that was only accessible through an encrypted network system called like a, I think it was called Tor, T-O-R. It's this sort of a... Mm-hmm. I've heard of it. I don't yeah, know, much, so I don't know I'm, much about it. Exactly. I'm not going to get too in depth on it because I don't, I'm not really educated enough to really describe the ins and outs <laughs> of it, but it's sort of this like program that you have to download separately. And then once you download this program, it allows you to access these like sort of encrypted web pages. And, and anyway, that's how people were using and how people came across the Silk Road. Okay. And so it's basically this huge online anonymous marketplace where you could buy everything from, you know, illegal substances to goods and services, like having fake IDs printed for you, mm-hmm. um, account information for, you know, Netflix, uh, credit cards, you know, all that kind of stuff. Sky's the limit. The sky is really the limit. And so it was designed by this guy named Ross Ulbricht who went by the Dread Pirate Roberts. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, obviously there's no denying that 
there is a lot of controversy around this. Um, but sure, I, yeah, something yeah. I thought was really important about Ross Ulbricht was like, he was an educated guy. You know, he had a bachelor's, he had a, he had a bachelor of science from UT Dallas in physics. And he oh. was in the process of working on a, a master's degree program um, where he was studying material science and engineering. Hey. So th this was not some <laughs> entirely like, you know, just sort of like crackpot dude who was just had his tinfoil hat on. Like, yeah, yeah. He was an educated guy. Interesting. And without getting into the specifics too much of the story of like his trial and his incarceration, uh, Ross was involved in basically an elaborate, uh, huge Bitcoin scam. Uh, he got scammed for lots of money, um, something to the tune of, you know, the ballpark of a million dollars in Bitcoin. It was mm -hmm. huge. And it also involved the, um, nobody actually got murdered, but it involved the, the intended murder of two men. Basically, Ross, oh. had, he was talking with somebody who, um, under his understanding, was a member of like, I think the Hells Angels or something. Mm -hmm. Basically, he was trying to hire a hitman that he was going to have take out these two individuals that had wow. wronged him and that were in his way. So the thing I think is so interesting about the Silk Road story and the reason I'm, I'm not trying to tangent too much, but the reason I brought oh, it up good. is it's interesting how, you know, you've got this guy who just wanted, he decided to create this huge anonymous marketplace. And I feel like he really just went power hungry, you know, like he, he, Oh, absolutely. I feel like he, once he realized just the scale and the scope of what it was that he was creating and he realized how much of an empire he could establish it kind of got the best of him, you know? Yeah. What's funny, this is my nerd moment. Um, when you mentioned that, it made me think of Sauron. Mm -hmm. Or sorry, it made me think of Sauron from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. So like he used to be the white wizard. He's this immensely educated person. Mm -hmm. And he thought that he could control the ring and use it for good. He, yeah. he wanted to use his knowledge for good and he got too deep and he became this evil person. Mm -hmm. It corrupted him and I... It, it, I just recently read a little snippet of article or something on Facebook or Instagram or something about yeah. that. And that exactly makes like that exactly fits for um, Ross Albright. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's totally a parallel there. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's something just really cool that I've, I've came across that in the past and I just, I don't know, I can't help it. That's definitely, that's just, Stories like that I get fascinated by. Oh, totally. Kind of when I just think about like the societal impact of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So so that was kind of a question I wanted to pose for you is just like when you think about the story of the Silk Road, mm -hmm. um, like do you think that the Silk Road directly indicates a problem with cryptocurrency itself? Or do you think it's simply, you know, a fault mm -hmm. of the technological tools like the dark web and the encrypted, you know, transactions yeah. and all that? So that's a really good question. Um, my dad um, sent me an article kind of about this where there's this really large disconnect between the people in Silicon Valley and the people in DC, the people who make the technology and the people who create laws to protect us from the downsides of technology. Mm -hmm. Because there's always another side to the coin. Um, oh, yeah. The example I always tell people is like drones. Mm -hmm. Drones are so cool and so fun. But on the flip side, um, my dad was telling me that the military had trouble because commercial drones were able to uh, bad people in 
the Middle East were using drones to deliver explosives onto bases mm. without without anybody looking. Yeah. It was just this little drone that just drops in whenever it needs to. Mm-hmm. And so that that was something we didn't think about when we created drones. Yeah. And so we're we're having to kind of deal with that. And I think it's the same thing with any new technologies. There's an adjustment period where we introduce it and it's really cool and really amazing. But then someone's like, hey, I could use this for, you know, name your nefarious reason. Yeah. And it just takes some adjustment period. Like um, mm-hmm. the same thing goes for social media. I think we're in the midst of this right now that um, social media was introduced and it's amazing and so much fun and cool. But then we also didn't think about a lot of the consequences that are coming. We think a lot yeah. more about our image and there's a lot more suicide. And we're in this time where we're trying to correct for that. Mm-hmm. Like if you, yeah. if you look there, social media is not regulated at all. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's uh, it's interesting because like any other new technology like drones, it's getting to the point where you almost need a FAA license yeah, to exactly. fly a drone. And that kind of regulation, while it's it's not fun to be regulated, I'm going to be honest, it's not fun <laughs> to like be told you can't do something when you live in a place where you should be able to do anything. Mm-hmm. But there needs to be like a baseline um, amount of regulation that keeps the majority of people safe. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's just like, yes, the Silk Road is a horrible, horrible thing, but it's just something that we need to learn from and, you know, regulate and do better in the future. Yeah. I don't don't know if you, if that's what you were thinking as well. I don't really know. That's, (laughs) I kind of was, I just wanted to see what you thought about it. I mean, Oh, gotcha. I think, I don't know. It's really tough to say. I, I, I agree with your point as far as, you know, I, I also don't think that the Silk Road is something that's just, um, explicitly evil per se, but it is definitely a service that allows, you know, people who wish to do wrong to do so or to do so more easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it's really, like you said, it's really tough to figure out, you know, where, where do you draw the line in the sand? Um, yeah. you know, because what, how do you decide what is, you know, what's right and what's wrong when you're dealing with an area like this where there is so much gray area. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's an, there's a, a topic that I have on the list of like talking about this kind of ethics of engineering specifically, because mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of technology out there that can be used for good, but we have to think about the, the things that go into it, that how can we make sure that, it's used in the way that we intend it. And if we don't, if we want people just to have it open source, we need to be able to tell people like governments or, you know, people in general, be aware that it could be used for X, Y, Z thing. Do with that what you will. Um, yeah. Cause for me, I, I love open source. I love the idea of open source. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like open source technology can be used for anything good or bad. And so we need to yeah. make sure that it's made aware that like Bitcoin can be really good. You know, governments don't always know what to do mm-hmm. or how to do it the best way. And so uh, with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, taking them out of the equation and making it just kind of a very strict system where it's not just like I can bend to any one direction mm-hmm. is, uh, is really good. But yeah, we just have to be aware of the downside. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the thing that's so cool to me about it to think about is really just that 
you know, having a system like cryptocurrency allows, like it, it just takes the bank out of the equation, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. you're no longer going to this gigantic institution to, to do your financial transactions. It's really a network based off of people like you and me. Yeah. And I, something that's something I think is just really interesting about it. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, one last thing that I want to mention is like a bad thing for, for cryptocurrency is it's kind of funny that I, I didn't find this as a downside um, specifically, but, or, okay, partially it's a downside, but um, so because cryptocurrencies is only digital, there's no physical substance to it. Mm -hmm. If there are some people that store it on like a flash drive, their, their digital wallet is stored in a flash drive. Mm -hmm. If that gets stolen, it's done. It's over. Yeah. Um, Because someone can take that flash drive open it up, transfer it to their account, throw away the flash drive and it's, it's gone. Mm-hmm. The other thing that is bad is because it's all on computers. Let's just say a giant solar flare from the sun wipes out computer networks. Yeah. I don't know if it could wipe out all of them, but man, it could wipe out a <laughs> lot of them. If the computer that gets wiped is your, is the one that stores your information, mm-hmm. it's gone. <laughs> the however much money you have is gone there's no right. insurance on it um and yeah like yes it's not super likely mm-hmm. that you know it could just crash and or like a solar flare flare could happen just crash um yeah or someone could steal it but still it's something to be aware of oh yeah well that's that's something really that that sort of leads into the very last negative point i had um, which sort of what you were just describing really to me is sort of eerily similar to what can also happen with a fiat currency, you know, just a, a typical uh, government backed paper currency like we have here in the U S which is mm-hmm. that uh, the value of that fiat currency is really only established because the government says it has value, you know? So obviously uh, like... I don't think it's, it's collapse would necessarily happen in the same uh, you know, like quick flash as like a solar flare, getting rid of all your data on a flash drive or anything. But I guess what I, what I mean is um, there's just as much potential or possibility for that paper currency to all of a sudden just um, completely plummet in value. So um, I think I know what you're talking about in Mm -hmm. the 19, like seventies or eighties or whatever, we went away from the gold standard. Mm-hmm. and so the money that we have isn't actually backed by anything that's what you're talking about right yes yeah so in america it used to be backed up by gold and silver like your mm-hmm. dollar had an actual gold value yeah and then america switched so that it doesn't have like it's not worth the paper it's printed on it's just because the government says it has that specific value exactly gotcha. yeah and yeah and and like even though that's at the moment not a a problem per se for us here in the u.s you know i mean Obviously, we have inflation, but it's not like we're having a hard time paying for eggs and bread when we go to the store because we have a ten dollar yeah. bill that's not worth ten dollars all of a yeah. sudden. Gotcha. Um, but it's interesting to me just because you know the same the way that currency is established, a fiat paper currency, that's the same way that the currency is established in areas like you had mentioned, like third world countries like Venezuela, where they have just had insane inflation, where the, you mm-hmm. know their dollar is just um, gotten infinitesimally small compared to what it used to be. Mm-hmm. 
And it's just, I guess, scary to think about how, you know, that's also another quote unquote solar flare that could happen to sort of just diminish that value. Well, and so um, maybe I'll talk a little bit more about my experience with inflation. Um, So I lived in Ghana for a little while. And um, when I'd gotten there the year Mm -hmm. before they had like restructured their currency. So it was um, two um, CDs is what it's called for one American dollar. Okay. So this is two to one ratio. Um, but throughout my time there, it was, de- it was being inflated a mm-hmm. lot. And what was interesting was the people who had money were able to, uh, how do I say this? Because you knew it was being devalued, and inflated you could take advantage of it before the price is caught up with the value of the money hmm. and so if i knew that the the value had inflated so now it was like a three to one i could go to the store that day before prices had caught up and buy a bunch of stuff at two to hmm. one so my money was worth more at the store even though it was worth less as a whole because the price hadn't caught up right and it was a very like sad thing to see that there were people doing that because like, okay, I should say I was able to do that because I wasn't aware of it at the time. Right. Right. Um, Like I wasn't trying to take advantage of the system there. It was just that like one day I was like, Oh, the CD value has dropped again. Oh, well. Mm -hmm. Um, And the exchange rate changed or whatever it was. But there, um, it was interesting to me that there was a, an expanding gap between the people who had money and the people who didn't have money. Mm-hmm. And um, people talk a lot about that here in America, that like the middle class is just getting more and more like divided between the people who have money and the people who don't. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was just interesting to kind of see it at a very, very quick timeline in Ghana, as opposed to here where it's, inflation is supposedly is regulated yeah i don't really understand how it's regulated but i know it is right um but yeah by the time just in the the two years span that i was there it went from a two to two to one ratio to a five to one ratio wow and um so i was just like i was baffled that like the last few weeks there it was tumbling pretty quickly Um, yeah yeah that's interesting just how even over that relatively short span of time you know you were able to witness firsthand the effects Mm -hmm. of that yeah and what's funny is the 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 people that i knew that were so like i was mainly like in the jungle area those people had no idea what was going on Mm -hmm. they only knew that things were getting more expensive that took more of their dollars their paper money to buy specific thing they didn't understand the systems and that was a huge disadvantage to them and so something like Bitcoin is, is really good, um, for those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, it's really interesting to think about how, um, just how this is going to affect things on a global scale, Mm -hmm. Um, which is not something I really looked into a lot, uh, to be honest, but yeah, me neither. Um, I mean, but Hey, it is coming. Yeah. Um, so the good, the really cool thing is, um, recently PayPal has announced, that you know starting this year with a few users or different areas but really starting early next year people will be able to pay bitcoin for products and services 
that you use PayPal for. Yeah. So like I, on eBay, yeah, on yeah. like at the grocery store, even if they accept PayPal. Yeah. Like and I think that's awesome. And I, I think even um, there's even, I, even some of the, uh, you know, the institutions like, like uh, uh, Coinbase or some of the other services you can use to purchase crypto, mm-hmm. they're offering something similar. You can get yourself, uh, you know, a visa through this crypto company, nice. but you can pay for that. You know, it, it's, it's treated the same as any other visa. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like, I guess in a sense, you know, you could use basically be using your crypto to buy your, your groceries or whatever, yeah. whatever else you're doing throughout your yeah. day. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, this is a small tangent. If you're interested in getting more into cryptocurrency, um, there's a link in the description for a referral for Coinbase, which is probably one of the more known and popular um, places you can trade cryptocurrency and use it like um, how Eric's talking about. Um, so if you do want to like get involved with cryptocurrency and like have the key and like own it and trade it, um, that's where you can get it. And there, the referral will, you know, help Eric out and help you out because you both kind of, um, you know, get some, some benefits. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's all we kind of had for today. Is that, does that kind of wrap it up for you too, Eric? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that pretty much wraps it up. Cool. Well, uh, like we always do, we want to recommend um, something that's that we've been reading or listening to or watching. Um, this week, we have both uh, gotten out of school, so we're on winter break, and so we've been reading a lot, or at least I have. Um, <laughs> I uh, I started reading um, Orson Scott Card, um, the Ender's Game series. Um, I'm on Ender in Exile, and if you guys like science fiction. Um, these books are seriously one of the best. Um, yeah, I've, I've only read the first myself, but yeah, it's a, it's a great book. I'd recommend yeah. that as well. And then the book that I had that I wanted to recommend is uh, George Orwell's 1984. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's just a great book. If you've never heard anything about it, it's sort of this dystopian society where, you know, there's this like sort of unseen entity called big brother that just like watches over all the people it's kind mm-hmm. of this like all-knowing all-seeing person thing um the people are controlled by the thought police so they're not even able to you know have independent thought let alone the way they act and dress like everybody dresses the same they act the yep. same and they're really afraid to even have uh individual thoughts of their own it's yeah. just a really you know kind of scary um but it's a really interesting book yeah, I uh, I wish Audible was a sponsor because I listened to it as an audiobook last year, and it mm. it was great. Like it was yeah. It's it's kind of a. Uh, it's kind of scary sometimes when you think about it as a whole. Mm-hmm. When you're listening to it, the storyline keeps you like invested and stuff, and it you don't always see the bigger picture, but you you kind of try and relate it to what you see in your own life, and it's kind of mm-hmm. it's interesting for sure. So I yeah. I recommend I that think- one too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, really anything by George Orwell. Something I really like about George Orwell is like all of his stories were sort of inspired by, you know, something happening in the real world. So like in 1984 or in Animal Farm that he wrote, they were both sort of modeled after um, like Stalinist government in uh, Russia Mm -hmm. at the time. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. 
so yeah the hope you guys enjoyed this episode um if you did uh please find a play a place where you can review it at you know apple podcast google podcast or you know follow us on facebook or twitter um but yeah um we will catch you on the next one